This is the Shut Up, You're Always Talking podcast with pizza artist Eric John. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show today. This is Shut Up, You're Always Talking. I am pizza artist Eric John. And before we get into it, let me tell you about my friend John Scambato at Yacht Club Soda. Yacht Club Soda has been making the best artisan sodas in the entire world uh, for a very, very, very long time. I've been drinking this stuff since I was a kid. You can't beat it, and you don't have to live in Rhode Island to enjoy this amazing soda. You can go to yachtclubsoda.com right now. You can mix and match. You can get whatever flavors you want. Um, you can get orange cream, blue raspberry, grape, brody, red, red berry rebellion. I think they've got that going on right now. You can go to the website and check it out and see all the amazing flavors that they have. So go to yachtclubsoda.com today and place your order. Okay, on the show today, we have uh, Larry Gilheny joining us. Um, Larry's a great guy. Uh, I think I first met Larry, actually, I think it was back when I was working on the Bob Healy campaign uh, for governor back in 2014. I think that's when I first met Larry. Um, he's a great guy. I love talk to him, uh, talking to him about all sorts of different issues. Uh, he's a really smart guy. He's also really, really nice um, and uh, really easy to talk to. So just to tell you a little bit about Larry, uh, he's a political activist who does work for the Rhode Island Center for Freedom and Prosperity, uh, as well as the America's Futures uh, Foundation, uh, which are organizations that generally try to promote conservative and free market policy positions. So Larry, welcome to the show. Eric, it's an honor to be here, my friend. You're doing a great job with all this. So big shout out to you. All the work that you're doing is really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Larry. Thank you so much. Um, so it's kind of funny. So I asked you to come on the show a little while ago, and I had a bunch of things I was going to ask you about. And then today, when I was like confirming with you our, our appointment, you kind of casually mentioned that you were at the Tucker Carlson speech uh, at the Heritage Foundation that just recently happened. And so all of my plans went out the window and uh, I'm like, I got to ask Larry about this speech. Um, I think you said you say you were in the front row. Well, almost front row, you know, uh, uh, being part of the great right wing conspiracy, as Hillary Clinton calls it, has its perks. And every once in a while, I get to do something fun, like go down to D.C. and hang out with Heritage. So let me give some background to your listeners. I'm with the Rhode Island Center for Freedom and Prosperity. We're a state policy network think tank here in Rhode Island. 50 of them across the country were fighting for freedom every day at the state house, in the media, trying to get the other side of the message that's so, so often left out by the mainstream media, forgot this for guy and, you know, all the people. So I get to go down. I got an in, a special invite down because Heritage is kind of in the same wheelhouse as, as we are. I went down with one of our board members. Big shout out to Anthony Sparados, Great guy. Good friend. So we went down there. Second row back. So not quite the front row. Second row back. I was probably about 15 to 18 feet away from uh, Tucker when he gave the speech. That's incredible. So let me ask you. So I have a few clips I want to play and then get your reaction to. But before I do that, what was, what was your general impression of the speech? Yeah. So listen, this was a huge room that we were in. There was probably about I would say 2,500 freedom fighters from across the country in this room. It was Heritage's 50th, biggest biggest dog in the fight. So, you know, it was a, it was a big, big event. And the, the mood in the room was super positive. The energy was great. People were happy. They were having a good time. And 
there was nothing in the speech that I heard that was, you know, I mean, it's controversial, but it wasn't that controversial. It's not anything he does that's different than what he does every night. It was really like hearing, you know, I don't watch the show live. I'm catching on YouTube like I'm sure everybody else, a lot of other, your listeners do. You know, we're in the podcast world, but it was it was normal stuff. There wasn't anything that was shocked me. I thought he had made a lot of great points. That's, uh, you know, I thought he was right on. What, what was the crowd like, Larry, in terms of, I'm, I'm curious, because when I think Heritage Foundation, I think about my grandpa. So was it a lot of young people or was it a mix of, of people or? Well, I, I'm sure guys like your grandpa are, are out there helping fund the Heritage Foundation. <laughs> but a lot of the, the, the people in the field are, are younger. They're our age. They're probably in their 20s and 30s. So I would probably say it was a mix. Probably about sixty percent old older people and forty percent younger people, professionals that work in the field. That was really the makeup of the, the crowd. Lots of young people, lots of good energy. Do you think that the advertising model is something that is going to kind of go the way of the dodo bird um, for a lot of people, especially people with big enough profiles like a Tucker Carlson or a Joe Rogan? Um, now, obviously, Joe Rogan's show is he got you know he got a big deal from Spotify and he has advertisers. But what I see a lot of people doing uh, lately is um, they have shows or programs that are subscriber based. Do you think that that's kind of the future of where a lot of this is going to end up going? Eric, you know I'm a free market capitalist, man. <laughs> First and foremost, whatever works to get something funded is where people should go, and the market will decide those things. But it seems like that I, for you know, everybody's going to have a different way of getting their work funded. For for me, it's nonprofit, right? So we rely on donors to make that happen. A subscriber model isn't that different from a, from a 501c3 donor model. I mean, it's really people giving their money to something they believe in. I believe in those models. I have a lot of faith in those models. But, you know, if hey, if somebody looks at it and says, hey, advertisers is what we need, there's nothing wrong with that, too. But I think the future, it's going to be like a mix. Like, I think that's the way the, the market direction is going. You look at even the mainstream media here in Rhode Island, so much of it is, you know, tied into the, the status quo. The politicians are funding a lot of these things. And there's, you know, hand, like Projo with the obituaries, for example. There's so many things that go on and. There's, I mean, the legal notices. There's so many things that go on that you know that make media that they raise these ethical questions. It really makes you wonder what the future is going to look like. And I think people are hungry for these new models. I think they're excited about these new models, and they're trying to find ways to get truth across. So, one question I want to ask you before we get to the first clip uh, is is sort of on what you're just saying about the media. I can remember maybe as early as maybe four years ago. Um, I remember that the sort of more mainstream media outlets in in the state um, uh, and, and mainly uh, WPRO used to cite the Center for Freedom, Prosper uh, Freedom and Prosperity uh, quite a bit. Um, and then I feel like there, at a certain point that stopped. Um, do you have any comment on that in terms of, of why that is, why that happened or just do you have any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, Eric, it's a it's a great question and a great observation, right? So there was a time when we were heavily promoted in the local media, like they would we they would come to us for the counterpoints, and you know I think it was really that we were just too effective. I think that we were having a major impact across the the political environment, the policy environment here in Rhode Island, and 
you know, the, the liberal progressive media just didn't like the things that we were saying. And it got to a point where they just said, hey, enough is enough. And it was one after the other. I mean, these people are all know each other. It's close. And it's, hey, it's, it's a shame that it's happened. But we've built our own platforms in the meantime. Our reach is better than a lot of these these outlets. And we're, we, we still find ways to make a difference. And I think that, I think it's a real shame because people need that alternative voice. And the center was providing that for a lot of people. And now that the mainstream media doesn't want to talk to us, that's, hey, it's their decision, but I think they're hurting their 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 uh, market base and their customers. Okay, so that, that's very interesting. And I, you know, it kind of goes to a part of this speech um, and, the, and, and the whole thing wasn't a speech either. There was a question um, or an interview portion uh, of the evening as well. And so many of the clips I've seen from the Tucker Carlson Heritage Foundation thing um, are, are, of course, it's always like the least interesting stuff. Um, and there was a there was a part of it that dealt with the stuff you're talking about with the media and and the control of information. So we'll get to that. We'll get to that. That's that that's uh, that's the last thing I want to ask you about. Um, so let's let's listen to the first clip here, and then I want to ask you about it. So just. Hang in there one second while I pull it up. The story of the last decade is the collapse of leadership, not of the population. The people remain noble and decent, so far as I can tell. I still live here. I'm never leaving. We have good people. We have terrible people in charge. And not just of our government, but of the institutions that I grew up in, the Episcopal Church, my high school. You know, I could just go on and on and on. They're all run by weak people. Larry, what do you, what do you make of that? The the idea of um, that what we really have here is a it's a problem of weak leadership across the board. Yeah, it seems like there's been this massive change in our, in our country, right? And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, a failure to adapt to the changing environment. So um, we're in kind of this printing press moment. So this is kind of a complicated idea where there's all these new voices coming at, at leaders across or so-called leaders across our country. And they're, they're not sure who to listen to. So when you look at like speech is like the key indicator, right? So there's about 15% of the population that wants to really restrict free speech and they're called progressives. And those are the people that are loudest on social media. They've mastered the cancel culture. And frankly, the so-called political leadership, uh, institutional leadership in our country is terrified of these people. So I think that there's been this failure to adapt. They're getting these pressure from they're getting pressure from these groups that have that are really tiny that have this huge outside impact on so impact on social media. And what I, I think that it's really a lack of moral uh, standing that's led to the, the, the weak leadership in our country. So they had, everybody knows the difference between right and wrong, but they're getting all this pressure and they're afraid to stand up to the, the woke mob. And I think that's really the probably the biggest problem that we have is that these people that people suddenly have this unbelievable amount of power that they've never had before. And it's a good thing. We're going to work through this. It's got, just going to take time. It's But we're in like this critical, special moment where it's all new. This, it's like I said, the printing press... Podcasts that we're having right now weren't possible just a few years ago. So, I mean, there's going to be amazing, incredible things that come out of it, like this podcast and all the all the other great voices that are coming through. But it, it's going to take responsibility. It's going to take – it, there's a real learning curve to all this. So in, in addition to morality, right, 
what do you what are the attributes that you look for in a great leader? Oh boy, uh, empathy. First off, that's that's the biggest thing that leadership is. It's being able to put yourself in the shoes of other people. So it's not enough, for one thing having a vision, but then you have to take the time to figure out how to get other people to come along with your vision. So that takes a, a certain kind of emotional intelligence, but it also takes some, you know, uh, spine backbone because if you're not strong enough to say, hey, this is right or wrong, nobody's going to follow you. I've been in some interesting situations over the course of my career that have taken leadership skills that I've, you know, I've, I've had some really great mentors and I was lucky to have those things, you know, running anti-toll campaign, fighting against the extreme abortion bill. There's been, extre- there's been some moments in my career where it's taken some real leadership skills and I've, I've been blessed to be able to have that kind of training and education and experience behind me that I've been able to show that kind of leadership and I kind of look for that in others, right? So it takes kind of empathy kind of understanding and a willingness to listen to other people. That, that's what really makes a great leader. But it's also a willingness to say no when somebody does something wrong, when somebody's wrong. You know, it's like things like morality, courage, responsibility. Um, this kind of, it kind of leads me into this next clip that I want to play. And it's, and it's part of a part of the speech that was right before he started getting into a lot of the good and evil stuff. And, and I think, you know, one of the things I took out of this speech that is you kind of have to read between the lines a little bit um, has to do with, you know, is it harder? It's sort of the idea that is it harder to recognize um, goodness without badness, right? Is, is, does Batman exist without the Joker kind of thing? So I want to play this, this clip and then, um, and then I want to ask you about this one as well. And the week I started at policy review, the Soviet union collapsed which was an amazing thing. The coup against Gorbachev in the third week of August, 1991, was the week I started at Heritage. And in retrospect, of course, you never appreciate the significance of things as they happen to you. You can't really know what the movie's about until it ends. But at the time, we didn't really appreciate how, well, two things. One, our entire political orientation was based on this war between the United States and the Soviet Union, this Cold War, but very much a war. And every part of our politics, as you well remember, those of you my age and older remember, every part of our politics revolved around that central conflict. We were in conflict with a country that was both anti-markets and anti-Christian. And that put in stark relief our own beliefs. And what would happen when that ended? So, Larry, what I'm, you know, what I'm wondering is, you know, what, what effect do you think the end of the Cold War, you know, had on the culture and and do you think that a lot of what we're seeing today stems from that event well i mean maybe i'm gonna be a little controversial here but i'm not sure the cold war ended so there's um a lot of reasons to believe that the influence that the communists had across to their intelligence apparatus the the red chinese with the 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 communist party of, of, of china is the enemy of the human race it seems like these socialist forces has infiltrated America in a lot of ways. Now, I want to kick this over to kind of a a larger point, though, and it's a a point that, you know, something that you and I both have in common, we're we're both spiritual people, you know, we're men of faith, we, we, like a lot of our generation is, and it's something, the story that's, that's really the media has failed to tell, is that a lot of millennials are very serious about their religious life. Now, I don't want to categorize the opponents of freedom in America as evil. I think that 
the progressives have a lot of good intentions in what they do. I think they're misguided, but they certainly do take evil acts. And I'm sophisticated enough to separate the two, the person from the action. And I think that's one of the great things about our side is that we're able to make that separation, right? The act is evil and the person is not. The person is, is in need of redemption. And I think that without um, w- without having that that view, it's easy to get lost. And that's one of the reasons why our opponents get lost. They're so quick to categorize everyone else as evil if they don't agree. And that's why they take extreme actions. So I think that we're, like I said, we're in a kind of like a special moment of change right now where there's a lot on the line. Do you, do you think that, you know, every yin needs a yang? Do, do you think that good can exist without evil and vice versa? I do think good can exist without evil. So I, I think I think God is all good and all knowing and, you know, all powerful and that there's going to be an eventual triumph over evil. That's a, a serious part of my Catholic faith. And at the end of time, God wins, right? Christ is, Christ is the Redeemer and, he, and, and we goodness will triumph. So goodness will exist and that evil is really the absence of God's goodness. So I, I, I do think that, that, that um, good can exist without evil, but there's always we live in a broken world and there's um, there's all, there's going to be evil for a long time yet. Let's put it that way. So good can exist without evil. It's just, it's just going to take an act of God And when you look at history, you know, it's, it's a bit of a march towards goodness, right? This is a, a big difference between the, what the, the Liberty freedom side says and the left says is that, you know, our side recognizes that things used to be worse and that very recently a few people became free and then a whole bunch of people became free. And now almost everybody in our country is free without special ex- exemptions for committed crime or something like that. And that's a, a positive, incredible, amazing story and that we've moved forward and the, and that and the other side just fails to see that. You know, one thing it makes me think of is um – the idea that you know, if if you, if people are kind of agreeing on the fact that you know they're working towards, let's say, a, a good outcome, or they're, they're you know, most people agree that they're working towards something good, and they make a lot of progress in that area, right? So you and I both being, you know, uh, I think we're both around the same age, right? We're, we're both around forty years old, just under, um, just under, <laughs> just under. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm not quite there, but we grew up in a time where. You know the 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 push. Let's you know for, was um, when it comes to to race relations, for instance, was color blindness. Right, it was the idea that race shouldn't matter and you shouldn't see color. And this goes all the way back to you know things that Martin Luther King said. And and it, you know it makes you wonder that it's, that it gets to a point where there is a certain amount of progress on a certain front that then all of a sudden it's like the reverse becomes the goal. So then it's like no, then it becomes colorblindness is bad um you know race is is the only thing that matters and it just sort of it just makes me think about the idea that like when 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 good starts to really sort of overtake evil or good overtakes bad and and you actually start making progress it's almost like there's forces that try to try to create more evil to balance it out or they try to take what is generally thought of as good and 
all of a sudden that becomes the evil thing, right? Do, do you see that also or, or am I like totally crazy? You're not crazy. You're right. So, I mean, there, there's definitely forces in the world that are working for bad outcomes, right? I mean, they might, they might in and of themselves see those outcomes as good, but that doesn't change the fact that the outcomes they're working for are actually bad in reality, right? Truth exists. Truth is a real thing. I mean, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That's kind of one of the laws of like pressure, right? So it's like a pressure cooker sometimes when you when you move one thing, there's going to be some some result. But, you know, really, Eric, I think it's about being humble, right? So I think one of the big lessons of policy and politics and which is why one of the reasons why I believe in freedom, right, is that you got to be humble because you there's always these unforeseen consequences to making these big sweeping actions. And like you said, we're, we grew up in the era of coronavirus, and that's the right answer. I mean, it's clearly the right answer is that you should treat every single person as an individual based on their own character. And that was, and that's the answer for advancing people that have been historically disadvantaged too, right? I mean, freedom and capitalism is the only engine that we've ever found that brings people out of poverty, and it's really the it's really the ultimate uh, goodness in this world outside of the spiritual. And I mean, all there's all kinds of things that we've learned through experience that seem like they're getting forgotten, but I still have hope. Well, I, I certainly think you have to. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of this speech that Tucker gave, there, there was a few moments where it's almost like he wants to throw his hands up to a certain extent and just give it up to things like prayer and things like hope and things like just, you know, wishing for a better outcome. Um, one, one thing you touched on was this idea that actions sometimes have equal and opposite reactions. And so this was... This was, to me, one of the most interesting parts of the event. Um, and, of course, I haven't seen it anywhere. I, I wouldn't have seen it if I didn't watch the entire thing. And that's another important thing. I think it's important for people to do. When you see a clip of something uh, on, on the Internet from a speech, try to go watch the whole speech. Because, you know, you sometimes people say things in, in, in a minute of a 30-minute speech, and it seems completely out of nowhere um, and then, but in the context of the entire 30 minute speech, it just seems, it sometimes seems like just a throwaway line. So I, I just, I would always recommend people actually look at the entirety of what somebody says, but I want to play this for you, uh, Larry. And then I want to get your reaction to this clip. And this is the last clip. First question, all, all kidding and sarcasm aside, what do you think over the last 10 or 20 years, whatever timeline you think is appropriate has changed the most? That is, and I mean that socially and culturally. I don't mean that politically, although you can go there if you want. That has affected everyday Americans' lives. The lack of information. Hmm. I, I was, oh, this is so name droppy, but I, I can't resist because it's, it's the elitist in you. No, I know it must be. No, I was actually interviewed Elon Musk this week, and he's there you go. so. I know, I know. I was talking to Elon Musk. Elon and I. Smoking a cigar on his G4, and he turns to me and says, you know, Tucky calls me Tuck. Um, no. <laughs> no, I interviewed him for work, obviously. And he had a great, he had such a wonderful line. And he said, the most likely outcome is the most ironic outcome. And I thought, boy, is that, that is just, that's actually a, I, I, would, I would argue that's a Christian precept, actually. You know, it, it's, it's kind of the Beatitudes, you know, the first shall be last. And the opposite of what you think is going to happen, happens. And so often, and 
So the internet, the core promise of the internet was as much information as we've ever had at your fingertips. And the result has been a centralization of information, this is deliberate needless to say, but unnoticed by most people that results in more controlled information than we could even have imagined 20 years ago. So a lot of information just is not available. I mean, because it's digital and it's controlled by a small number of companies, the polling suggests that a lot of Americans, I don't mean like hundreds, I mean hundreds of millions of Americans have no idea what's going, they don't know the facts about certain things. And it's not just because they're dumb or they're distracted on their iPhones. The whole point of the iPhone was to inform you and the net effect has been to make people completely ignorant of the core of the actual facts, like the non-disputed facts about a lot of different things. And you saw this certainly during COVID. So that challenges the idea of democracy, which, you know, rests on the notion of an informed voting public of a citizenry. And we don't have that. What do you what do you make of that, Larry? OK, that's the moment to get him fired, Eric. I mean, that's. What, what what a quote, right? Uh, it takes a lot to think that through and what that actually means because it seems like on the one hand we have this whole, you know, ocean of information. There's so many voices. There's so many people coming out and being able to uh, say things that they weren't ever able to say before to audiences that they never would have had. And at the same time, there's these massive giants that are – these intermediaries that do have the power to shut people off, that to block people. So at the center, we were mentioned in the Twitter files, which is something that I'm extremely proud of. Dr. Andy Boston was a researcher at Brown University, amazing guy, epidemiologist, leading expert on, on COVID numbers, right? This is one of the, the top guys in the country. We had him on our podcast all the time, and he was able to bring things out throughout the pandemic and go over the numbers that were coming right directly from the government all the time. And then we were censored. We were kicked off. We were kicked off platforms. Uh, there's a million million ways they were able to cut us down, but they also weren't able to stop us at the same time. So we, we went out. And we found new platforms to do that to, to get our message across. But there's always people left behind when that happens, right? And so like, if you get kicked off something, you're gonna you're gonna lose some of your audience. Um, I think that eventually that. There we are. The great arc of history that we've seen in our, our country is towards freedom, and because this moment is so new, I mean, years old, not decades, years old, that people don't quite know how to think it through yet. And I think that eventually we're going to figure out the solutions. There's a million technologies out there that that offer better things than what we have. One of my favorite books is called Life After Google. George Gilder is an amazing, amazing economist. He was one of Reagan's chief advisors. Guy predicted the, the, the smartphone in the 70s or 80s. Amazing, amazing man. And he talks about the blockchain and how that frees people and the, the ways that that technology will move us beyond having these intermediaries where it's direct contact. That's the hopeful world I look for. That's the future I want to build, where people are able to get their message across and have a, a you know a straight shot to talking to each other. Because when there's talking, there's understanding, there's communication, and it's way better than the alternative, which is fighting. Do you you know you brought up cryptocurrency, um, and that's actually one of the things I was thinking about when he was talking about this uh, digitalization of information. Um, because, you know, I'm sure as you're aware, crypto, basically all cryptocurrency is, is digitalized information. 
Do, do you think that's a similar sort of situation where it's the, the promise of cryptocurrency is more economic freedom, but somehow the outcome is going to be less economic freedom than we could possibly imagine? So there's there's two sides to that story, too. I mean, the state is going to get involved. The government is going to get involved. They're going to put out their own kind of crypto that's going to that's going to be a market leader for a long time. But people that want alternatives are going to find a way. And I, I never count the human race down. So I, I think that the future is much bigger, much broader than we can really imagine at this point. We're really just on the threshold of stepping into a bigger world where where you're able to transfer money, value across the planet in an instant without any cost. That's a major change. There's never been anything like that. And like you said, it's information. That goes for speech. That goes for, for really anything can be digitized and put into information. You know, your pizza art's an incredible thing. And that, you know, you, it, that you found ways to bring that to new people in, in, in different ways. There's a million things that are going to be like that. And I think the future is really a hopeful one. We just have to get there, right? And there's lots of things standing in the way. It's just it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to be take people working towards that. And I encourage people to work towards that. It, the American people have more power than they can possibly know. Look at all the controversy around Bud Light right now. Whether you're for it or against it, whether you think that people are speaking out and having a major impact on this huge corporation, and I think that. There's lots and lots of power in people just being having the ability to speak out directly. And I think that people a lot of times feel like they're counted out, counted down. But I've seen the impact that they can make over and over again. You know, the, the way the way I always kind of felt about it is that like, like I don't totally agree with what Tucker's saying. I don't think at least not in the present moment. Like to me, um, the, the Internet, um, like without the Internet, I, I, we wouldn't have access to certain things that we have access to. I, I think there's, you know, there's, there's certain people, like I don't think a Joe Rogan would exist. I don't think he'd be out there doing his show. And it's a show I love very much, obviously, but um, you know, during, during COVID and I've been pretty outspoken about COVID and my feelings about that, uh, you know, on Twitter from time to time, you know, and um, you know, his, his voice was a pretty important one during that time for a lot of us who were, uh, who were struggling with the information we were getting from the official sources. Uh, and, and, and you know, that doesn't happen without the Internet. Now, like my other the other take I kind of have is, well, I think the powers that be could shut that down whenever they want to. The, the question is, is do they have the political capital capital to do it and the political will to do it? Because I do think there would be a huge backlash. Um, and it seems like sometimes what they do is, is that they'll um they'll they'll kind of float things out there and to sort of gauge what the public response is um it seemed like they did this with vaccine passports right they they floated this out there there was a big backlash against it and it ended up being only only sort of a handful of major cities and things that that really implemented them as a, as opposed to the entire nation so um it, it seems to me like you're generally pretty hopeful you're pretty uh, white pilled for for lack of a better term um, and I think that's a good thing. I think that, you know, I, I think that's a good thing. I, I, you know, I don't, have you, um, had a chance to read, uh, Michael Malice's book called the white pill. I have not, but I am a big fan of Michael Malice. I listen to his, 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 his all the time on, you know, different platforms. He's an amazing, amazing guy. I have not read the book though. I'm going to add it to my list if you recommend it. 
Yeah, I mean, I look. He's I'm one of the I'm one of like the 30 million people he's blocked on Twitter. So don't you know like. <laughs> uh, but I still, yeah, you know, I still, I still love Michael Malice. I'm sure I, I think I probably like reposted a GIF too many times in his replies or something, something stupid, probably. Um, but yeah, but you know the thing, the thing that's interesting about it is like you know being hopeful doesn't mean you're naive, right? Being hopeful doesn't mean that you um, aren't realistic. It just means you're you still believe that there's uh, a chance for positivity or there's reason for positivity or positive thinking and positive outcomes. Um, and I think when it comes to leadership, what kind of takes us back to the first clip we listened to, uh, nobody wants to follow somebody who, who isn't preaching some sort of a hopeful message, right? So um, as you go forward and as you look to the future um you know what are what are the things that you know and and reaching young people is incredibly important what what are the things that you're trying to do and that the center is trying to do to um you know to to walk that fine line of uh gloom and doom but hopefulness well, you know, one of my favorite sayings, and I'm going to butcher it, is there's a difference between being nice and being kind, right? When you're nice, there's like an ignorance behind it. You're, you're doing things because you don't really understand. And when you're kind, you're willing to do hard, challenging things because you understand the reality. And you always want to be kind. You never want to be nice. I think a lot of the leadership in this country is nice. And it seems like there's nobody running the ship sometimes, right? So there's all these people making these decisions. It's this massive bureaucratic and corporate nightmare out there of all these different parts where it seems like there's nobody really in charge and it seems like they default to kind of this niceness, this spineless niceness. So we try to provide a real alternative to that by being kind. We try to give a hopeful message, but by pointing out the failures that are happening here in our state. And it's great because Rhode Island is just big enough, right? So you can actually make a difference. You can get your hands in it. You can know the players. You can know the people. You can shake hands with them and go grab a drink with somebody that you don't agree with. And I, and I really like that about here in Rhode Island. It's the best, most amazing place in the world. We are trying to change the way people think here in Rhode Island by presenting alternatives and the, the right alternatives. Um, and we do that through a lot of different ways. So I'm, I'm the comms director for the center. I'm also a Northeast Regional Director for America's Future, which is a related organization where we do outreach to young professionals. Eric, you should come to one of my meetings. Everybody's welcome. We do those. I, I did go to one of the trivia nights, and and uh, it was a good time. I love I love myself some some good, honest trivia. <laughs> so the next time you guys have a trivia night, I think maybe I'll have to I'll have to jump in and uh, and uh, say hello and hang out with you guys for sure. Um, yep, you're always welcome at plug, at plug the podcast, please. It's, it's great stuff that you're doing. I appreciate but, that. Uh, yeah, we try we try to present present the alternative so people have the facts. I mean, that's really our our role, and we also help through organizing and providing material resources to people with an outsider opinion, people that are speaking up for freedom and defending freedom, and we do that in a lot of different ways. You mentioned being able to talk to people who disagree and being able to get along. Um, are there any? progressives or anybody on the left who who you know who you would probably disagree with on almost everything um 
that you respect and or even admire? Walsh, I love. Uh, she's amazing. So there's 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 lots of people on the left that I admire their vigor and their 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 zeal for, and I respect them as when they have the ability to have uh, a, a good, honest debate and conversation. I don't have to agree with everybody to respect them, but I think that um, a lot of times, I mean, it like rep, former Rep. Walsh is, is a, a a rare example of somebody that's willing to have that debate. A lot of times, they're just what they would just want to cut you out and cancel you. And there's, I think that's unfortunate. I think it's detrimental to the country. But I think that if people speak out, and there's always political pressure on everyone, and I think that regular people should demand more of their their the progressives to, to engage in debate and engage in conversation. Using the tools of the left against them is something that's very powerful and making those demands across social media, you know, wherever that they need to have more debates and be more involved in actually debating their opponents would be very helpful for regular people to do. And what do you, what do you make of um, Robert F. Kennedy's recent announcement that he's running for president? What do you think about that? I think he could have a lot of influence over the Democrat Party. I think I think it's an exciting moment, right? So that here's somebody that has a big name, has access to the donor base, um, and with a very very different message, one that I agree with a lot. Uh, and I think that he can have a big influence over the way things goes. President Biden's old man; he really is. What's going to happen? It's hard to say. And Robert F. Kennedy could have a, a big impact on this race coming up. Uh, in all honesty, before this, the, the Democrat side was kind of boring to look. You, when you look at the R's, you're going to say, hey, who's, who's the nominee? Is it going to be Trump, DeSantis? There's a lot of back and forth. The different camps are fighting. Now there's a real alternative on the left, and I think that's an exciting an exciting thing. I, I encourage it. I'm excited for it. I'm going to be following it closely. I think it's going to be super interesting. Larry, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's always good to talk to you. I think you um, you're a very honest um, you're very forthright with your opinions and um, especially in a, in, a, in a climate where it can be, you know, it can be tough to share your opinions, especially in such a public way. Um, and uh, as far as I as far as I've seen, you've always been willing to listen to anybody, regardless of what their views might be or who they might be or where they might come from or whatever. You're someone who uh, I've always known to just really love ideas and really love talking about ideas and thinking about things. Um, and and I, so I'm super psyched you were uh, willing to come on the show and talk to me because you have so many interesting things to say. So um, tell people where they can find out more about you and the work that you do, um, whether it's for the center or for the uh, the Freedom Foundation. Eric, it's been a, a complete honor to be to be on the show, and you know, right back at you, man. I, I love talking to you. We had a great conversation. This flew by, went by super fast. Hope it went by fast for your listeners too. Um, people can find out more about us at rifreedom.org or americasfuture.org um, or theoceanstatecard.com. So there's all kinds of places to find out stuff. So or find me on Twitter, El Guhini, Right, I'm always willing to have a conversation there and a debate, and it's. I really enjoy it, and I love engaging with the ideas, like you said. So thank you for today. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Larry. I'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Shut Up, You're Always Talking podcast. I gotta go. Go where? Where we just got I got that thing. I gotta go. With pizza artist Eric John. All right, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together, okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.